innovative, often duplicated When enough people get on the trend, I elevate it Make it way harder for them to follow what I take It hard to swallow like a lozenger lodged in your trachea Goodness gracious, bruh, I can never make this up So just take your stuff, rake it up and take the bus Never fake the funk, you painted skunks You played enough, I'm lifting bars to outer space So the weight is up Fight! My guest this week is just 22 years old, but already he's one of the best no-gi grapplers in the world. Gordon Ryan won the 88-kilogram division at ADCC just a few weeks ago, taking silver in the absolute and becoming the first American to win that weight class. It was a real coming-out party, and just this week we learned that Gordon will be taking on Holic Gracie November 26th in a no-time-limit submission-only match at Metamoris. Just a few days after he won ADCC, Gordon took some time to talk with us about his training methods, about his competition goals, about intricate technical details about some of the positions that he's known the most for. I guarantee you that you learned something from this interview. I know that I did. I want to thank Gordon Ryan for taking the time to give a thoughtful, intelligent, and forthright interview, and I want to thank the rest of y'all for tuning in. Here's our interview with Gordon Ryan. U.S. Grappling is our favorite tournament organization for a lot of reasons. Run by grapplers for grapplers, U.S. Grappling consistently provides the best tournament experience for competitors. Whether it's a points tournament or submission only, and U.S. Grappling runs true no time limit submission only events, it's the best place to compete and to watch your friends compete. Check out upcoming events and register online at usgrappling.com. So first of all, congratulations on the ADCC victory. A lot of people consider that the most prestigious honor in grappling. And so how does it feel to be the first American to win gold at that weight class? Uh, you know, it feels great. Um, you know, going in uh, to ADCC, especially my first ADCC, and uh, managing to win was, was definitely uh, an accomplishment for me. Um, and, you know, in my opinion, ADCC right now is, is the most prestigious you know, grappling tournament there is. It's, you know, it's only held every two years. And it's widely considered to be to be our Olympics. So you know, to go in, especially my first one, and have a run like that, uh, you know, I'm I can't complain at all. So it was great. You beat some of the best grapplers in the world: the legendary Cyborg, Keenan Cornelius. I'm curious, did, who surprised you the most, or brought an unexpected game to what you prepared and studied for, or did the matches go about like you'd expected? Most of the matches went how I planned. I thought that. I thought if I got on top of Felipe Pena, I would e I would easily be able to pass his guard. Um, I thought that if I I thought my match with Shanji would be pretty would be easier than it was. Um, and the one who surprised me the most was Dylan Bannis. Uh, he played a very smart tactical game um, where he kind of hit like quick guard passes, but then didn't but not really engage besides that. Uh, so he was like trying to throw my legs by, and if he couldn't get a pass, he would back away. He did a really good job of posting my shoulders, posting my head, and things like that. So he knew that he knew he wasn't going to submit me, and he knew that I wanted to submit him. So he would kind of just play like a negative game, and he knew that I would have to either sit on my butt and not submit him, but he knew that I wanted to submit him, so he knew I was going to have to come up into him. So he'd play a negative game, wait until I came up into him, and then try to hit uh, either dark strangles or guillotines or head and arm guillotines, things like that. So tactically, um, you know, Dylan played very smart, and he was uh, he was one of the ones that surprised me most. 
So you did get some very impressive submission victories, but the match with Dylan and the match with Shanji went to ref's decisions. Do you ever, did you get nervous at all before they announced the ref's decisions? Because it sounds like you, you felt like uh, you felt confident in, in your victories in those matches, but you never know what's going to happen when, when the refs get involved. So were you nervous at all? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I always try to, I always try to get submissions because that's just, that's just who I am as a grappler. Um, and uh, I never, I definitely, if I'm not going to win my submission, I would rather at least win by points. Um, you know, I never want to be in a situation where I leave it up to anybody besides myself. Um, but you know, in both those matches, I felt like I did enough where uh, where I could have won. You know, I almost took Dylan's back a couple times, um, and he didn't really do much to me. Uh, and I was attacking him the whole time. I had a leg lock entrance at the uh, at the end. Um, and Shanji, um, you know, same thing. I was fighting the past guard. He had like almost a couple sweeps, closed guard on me, but I got right back up. Um, you know, I had a Kimura. I almost took his back. Uh, I took him down in the beginning, so I think that you know, obviously a little a little bit of nerves, but I, I was confident that I did enough to get the win in, the, in both those matches. Mm-hmm. A couple of technical questions, like you mentioned, your match with Felipe Pena, who you uh, you, you fought twice. Um, what did you think of his inside Senkaku escape? It, it seemed like he capitalized on a small window of opportunity where his heel was exposed, but with his legs straight, and it forces the attacker to roll through to outside Ashi. Um, what details are needed to secure that finish? Uh, yeah, so, you know, he does a very interesting escape where um, he turns and he freezes knee line, and then unlike most people who just continue to run away, he, he uh, as soon as he freezes knee line, he switches his hips back and he grabs the hip. So the hip grab allows him to stay close enough to me but not have his knee line, not have his leg in danger. So he freezes knee line, he turns and grabs the hip, and then he switches his hips and attacks the back. So then he has a hip grip, and then he takes his second hand and he grabs far over the trap, and he uses the shoulder grip to control my upper body and the hip grip, hip grip to control my lower body, and that's how he climbs up to the back. Um, so you know he did a he did a good job both times, um, freeing his knee line and getting my back. Obviously, the second time was a little bit better on my part, not getting strangled. Um, but you know he did a good job freeing the knee line and then going into back takes from there. So you also end up submitting Keenan Cornelius, and the guillotine setup that you used was really beautiful, but you also you had to roll several times to finish it. What kind of adjustments did you make yes. to solidify that finish on the fourth attempt? Um, so I, I've trained with him multiple times in California, uh, and uh, I kind of knew what to expect going in. He was the person I knew the most about because we competed together before, uh, and I trained with him in California. So I kind of knew, we kind of knew each other's game a little bit. Uh, with the guillotine, the adjustment I made was every time I went to sit him over from a butterfly guard, he would always be able to hop. If I had two legs inside with a traditional butterfly guard, he would hop over my legs and manage to either hand fight the guillotine or rotate out or whatever the case is. So what I did at the end was instead of putting a butterfly hook in, I just felt my hip and I blocked his far foot. So now when I blocked his far foot, he fell to his hip and I was able to come up with his mouth instead of him jumping over my legs from butterfly guard. So you mentioned you've trained with Keenan a, a fair bit. It, do you um, do you approach a match differently if you know a lot about a grappler as opposed to someone that you've never trained with before? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, for, for for Keenan, I knew what to expect. Um, you know, I've I've had uh, pretty much an entire week of training with him twice a day, um, so I knew pretty much everything about his game that there is to know as far as about the gi. Um, so I didn't even bother watching any tape on him really. Uh, I kind of just. All the other grapplers, like Shanji, I like didn't know really much about him. I didn't really know much about 
you know, a lot of the guys in my division. Um, so I watched every match that I could find of those guys um, and tried to see what was, see what their reoccurring techniques were in each match from match to match over the course of their career. Because, um, you know, a lot of these guys have had long careers, but they stick with the same moves throughout the entire career. So I just kind of watched to see what the similarities were between, the, uh, between you know, when they started and when, and, uh, and most recent videos. Uh, and with Keenan, I kind of just went in and, and, and competed against them. One last ADCC question, which is, you know, you were the first American to win that weight class. D does that mean anything to you, either in terms of, like, it being a groundbreaking achievement or, or, or anything like that? Is, is, is that special for you at all, or do you not think in those terms? Uh, I mean, it is, but it's not, it's, like, it's not really a big deal. I mean, it's cool, obviously, that I was the first American to win the weight, but, I mean, it's not, it's not anything really too special. I mean, to me, like, I wasn't, like... You didn't seem like jumping up and down or doing anything crazy when I when I won, um, because I really I just expected uh, you know myself and my team just expected me to win. So for me it wasn't really it wasn't anything too crazy. It was just I mean obviously it's a it's a huge accomplishment and ADCC is like the most prestigious thing right now. But for me it was just I would just thought of it like I was going into another competition. So you've said recently that you plan on uh, transitioning to the gi. And so I want to ask you a couple of questions about about doing gi tournaments as opposed to focusing on no gi. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in terms of technical differences, what do you expect from the gi, and where do you expect the biggest learning curve to be? Um. So you know, I haven't really. Uh, I'm focusing on 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 no gi now still until after EBI, and then as soon as EBI is over, I'm going right into into both gi and no gi training, but gi training at least five times a week. Um. And then no gi training every day, but uh. I expect to have a similar game to what I have now, uh, but I expect to have um, a more intricate gripping system than anybody else in the sport. Um, you know, the things that things that uh, John have explained to me right now is, uh, you know, we see most people in the sport just kind of grabbing random grips um, rather than and using trick grips to hit whatever setups they want, they like. But there's no really system uh, of gripping. Uh, in other words, they, they have a couple things they do well, but they don't have a, a certain grip for every reaction their their partner can give them from every situation. Uh, so we're going to work a lot on uh, standing to ground transitions uh, and uh, and working on gripping systems to get to whatever preferred position we want. So you're not going to be done doing big nogi tournaments, though. It sounds like it sounds like you'll still. Oh no, I'm I'm definitely competing nogi still. I'm just going to incorporate the the, the gi competition also. The first annual Dirty White Belt Radio Awards are coming. You can nominate people through December 1st, and after that, our panel of distinguished judges from up and down the East Coast is going to rule on who wins. But the best way to convince those judges is either writing in to cagesidewhoop at gmail.com, that's cagesidewhup at gmail.com, or call and leave us a voicemail at 360-389-2830 explaining why the people you want to win should win. So write to cagesidewhup at gmail.com or call us at 360-389-2830 and let us know who should win the Dirty White Belt Radio Awards. How good is your little brother, Nicky Ryan, going to be at jiu-jitsu? Uh, right now, he, he has the most learning potential out of anyone on the team. Um, so in other words, he, uh, he, he is progressing 
uh, you know, just as fast or faster than any of the best guys that we have on our team right now. Uh, and he's the youngest on our team, so he, he's he's set out to be uh, better than any of us. Um, you know, as as it should be. You know, every generation should theoretically be better than the one before um, for them. I mean, he, he he's well on his way to being being better than us, especially since the fact that he got to start training under John right away as soon as he started his training, where none of us, none of the rest of us, you know, had that opportunity. And he doesn't go to school anymore, so he just went to freshman year of high school and now he's get to train the John full time. So he has a he has a couple of distinct advantages that we that we did it. So he's he's definitely gonna be better than all of us. <laughs> On that same topic, what advice would you give to a young Jujutero that's just starting out in the art, somebody that's maybe a little bit younger even than your brother? Like what 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 do you want them to know that you wish that you had known? Well first of all you have to be prepared to put in in the beginning, at least, a lot of work for very little. Um, you know, when, and I, you know, I hope this changes, uh, but when, when myself, especially Gary and Tom and all those guys before were coming up, you know, you had to, the only money in the sport really competing wise was, well, you had to do like a, a the grapplers quest, absolutely, like a thousand dollars, and you had to be like five black bar world champions or like three ADCC champions just to get a thousand bucks. So, I mean, the, the return initially, on putting everything, putting all your eggs into the, into the grappling basket is it's very little. Uh, but, you know, when, once you break past a certain point and get to the highest levels, uh, you know, everything everything becomes worth it. So, you know, stick to it um, if you're an aspiring grappler uh, and have the confidence that you will eventually get to a point where all the work that you're putting in will, will pay off. Um, and, you know, uh, another thing is just to to work as hard mentally as you do physically. You know, everyone just comes in and they try to get tough. You know, they have hard rounds and they try to just be be tough training and be tough like with the rest of their training partners. Um, you know, I think that it's really crucial to to understand the mechanics of things, why things work, why things don't work, and how can I make things better. Um, you know, how can I take a, the moves that are working at the highest level and make them make them better than what they are now? Uh, it's still a very young sport. And I think there's a lot of improvement to be made. And I think that the next couple of generations, uh, especially, you know, 20, 30 years from now, uh, they're going to make all of us look like a bunch of, like a bunch of fools. Um, so there's a lot of, of progression to be made uh, in, our, as a, in our sport as a whole. So I think, uh, I think in the future it'll be, it'll be a lot easier for, you know, up-and-coming grapplers to make money and to, and to progress faster than all of us did. On the uh, on the topic of sacrifices, what do you think your biggest sacrifices that you've made for jujitsu have been? Mm, probably not really having a social life. Uh, you know, to me it's not really a sacrifice because that's all worth it. But you know, uh, I don't really have uh, I don't really go out and party too much. I don't really have the life of like an average twenty two year old. I kind of just train and I work out and I go to sleep and I watch tape and. You know, I train, I, I eat healthy, I do you know, everything I have to to be successful in my career. Um, so, you know, as far as, you know, having a social life and, you know, and traveling back and forth to the city, like, you know, four hours a day driving. Um, so, you know, I think that is the biggest biggest sacrifice. But for me, it's not really a sacrifice because it's something that I want to do. I don't really miss having a social life. I, I kind of enjoy doing what I do. But I think for most people, we consider not having a social life is the biggest sacrifice. 
In terms of your training, it seems like you've been focused on strength training recently, and I'm wondering what the reasoning is behind that and how it's affected your jiu-jitsu. Uh, do you have goals for your strength training, like to be more explosive? Does it make it easier to submit people, or, or what's the reasoning behind um, that? So, so the reason behind the strength training was was, was pretty simple. Uh, I was always the same weight class as Gary, but I was always a little, like we could, when, I, when we first started, we could both do like a, a, a tournament of 155 pounds and we could both make but I was always a little bit naturally longer and, and heavier than Gary, so we could still cut, you know, around the same amount of weight. He was he could cut a little bit lighter than me, but I could make most of the weight classes that he could. Um, so, you know, naturally, I would always be the one moving up in weight because I was a little bit bigger. But I was always around the same size as Gary, so I would be the lightest person in my division. Like, for instance, before, before my weight gain, I was 185 to 190 pounds. And I have guys from 215 pounds cutting down to 194 pounds for ADCC. So the reason why I, I, I gained weight was, was just to get out of Gary's weight class and, and to be the real weight of everyone I'm competing against. Uh, you first saw this at the 170 EBI, which Gary was originally supposed to do, but then I got hurt for the 205. So he did the 205, and then I did the 170. And people saw them when I actually competed against people my own size that you know, it, was a, it was a different story. So I wanted to go up in weight to... Uh, to, to lose, to do a cut down for ADCC and, uh, and be the same size as the people I was competing against. Um, and as far as, uh, as far as performance in Jiu-Jitsu, I think it's helped. Um, I think it's helped a lot. Uh, you know, all of my, my technique is still there. My flexibility is still there. I just think that all, all the movements I do are just more assertive now. And, uh, you know, I feel really comfortable carrying the weight and, uh, I think it's helped a lot. Do you do specific flexibility training as well? You're obviously a very flexible person, but I'm wondering if that's a natural thing or something you worked at through yoga or through some other type of training. Uh, I just do, um, I do mostly, so I do a mix of, of gymnastics and like generic bodybuilding workouts. Uh, and then stretches, I just do like, I kind of just work on, um, on like hip mobility uh, and like butterfly stretches, like full splits, things like that. I don't do any like too kind of crazy stretching. Uh, I probably should stretch more, actually, but I think that, uh, you know, I was always, I was always pretty flexible, and as I've gained weight, my body wanted to, wanted to stiffen up as I was, uh, as I was lifting weight, but I just, you know, kept the stretching going, and now I think I'm just as flexible as I was at 180 pounds, and, uh, I just want to maintain the flexibility I have now, and if possible, get more flexible, obviously, but I don't want to, I don't want to be, I don't want to go backwards as far as flexibility. Um, so, you know, it's just like generic stretches. Like every time I finish training, I just sit in a butterfly stretch or, you know, practice some full splits, things like that. Christmas is coming, and it's time to get gifts for the grappler in your life. Every year at DirtyWhiteBelt.com on the blog, we have a grappler's gift guide, and we want your suggestions, so be sure and tell us what you want for Christmas. But I'll tell you, on ToroBJJ.com right now, I see a bunch of things that would be really useful, including a Toro BJJ dress belt, a brand new Toro gi, or some of the sweet rash guards you can get from the best people with the best customer service around. Stop online at ToroBJJ.com, and be sure to watch DirtyWhiteBelt.com for our grappler's gift guide this year. So everybody knows that you train with John Donaher, and I'm wondering, you know, he has such a, a good reputation as an instructor, and we, we talked with Nikki and Ethan on the podcast earlier about how good he is at teaching. I'd love to hear you explain what you think that John teaches that is either different from the, what other people are doing or what makes him a successful instructor that's avail, able to convey information. Yeah, 
first, I want to say that no matter what I say, you really just have to take a John Denner class to experience everything. Uh, and even then, you're not going to get the full experience because you have to spend months and months and years with him to kind of get... He just gives you pieces of, of whatever he's trying to show. And then it's not for months or years that everything comes together. And then one day everything clicks. And you're like, wow, that makes so much sense. Uh, but, you know, some of the things that he does differently is, first of all, he doesn't have a kid. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have a family. He doesn't have, uh, he doesn't compete. So the only thing that he really has to focus on is the students um, versus, you know, other great coaches like Andre Galvao, Cyborg, um, Marcelo Garcia, things like that. They're, they're all great coaches, but they all also have competitive aspirations of their own. So, you know, competitors tend to be, tend to be selfish people, right? Because you know, Andre Galvao wants to win Blackout Worlds, but he also wants students to win Blackout Worlds. So he kind of has to split between himself and his students, whereas John doesn't have that. You know, everything that he does is, is just for us. Um, so that, that, he's special like that in terms of that regard. Um, and he's also, uh, he's also very intellectual and open-minded. Um, so what he'll do is, for example, right now, in the last 10 years, everyone said, oh, like, everyone just wrote off leg locks. Like, oh, leg locks don't work. This sport is, is run by a lot of closed-minded people, uh, in my opinion. And John's very open-minded. If he sees something that works, repeatedly uh, at the highest level, you know, he'll, he believes in it, and he'll start incorporating that into, into our games and, uh, and, and trying to see ways to, to innovate and make it better and things like that. Um, what he'll do is he'll take footage from tapes um, of all the highest level athletes in different martial arts and wrestling and judo uh, and things like that, and he'll find ways to incorporate those into our game. Um, and, you know, not all wrestling moves will work in jiu-jitsu because, obviously, there's a little bit different rule set. There's no submissions in wrestling and things like that. Uh, but he'll try to take certain moves from certain sports and bring them to us. And even further than that, he'll take, for example, a wrestling move and he'll adapt it to, uh, to work on, say, my body type, for example. Um, like he, he won't show me the same takedowns as I'll show Gary because we're just different body types. Gary uh, Gary has more movement potential than I do and he's more athletic than I am. So the takedowns that work for me aren't going to necessarily work for him and vice versa. So he'll adapt whatever moves he's looking at for the body type and uh, and the athletic abilities of whichever student he's trying to get uh, to learn the move. So he kind of he kind of picks moves and then just gives them to whichever athlete he thinks he's going to work best with. Uh, so I think you know between all of that, uh, he's, uh, he's far ahead of the game. And he, he, he looks to treat um, training programs that lead to progression over time, uh, not just coming in, teaching some tricks, and then getting tough. Everything that he does, it's, it's a plan, a short-term plan uh, for upcoming competitions, and then long-term goals for, for us as overall grapplers you know, uh, throughout our entire careers. So... Between all those, it makes it makes a very special instructor. That makes perfect sense. One of the interesting things that I see among grapplers like Andrew Bittner from our area, who really loves the Danaher system and loves the the uh, the success that you all have had, is to try to learn some of the things. It, it, they were, they watch your matches over and over and watch breakdowns, watch a lot of film, and I, I'm curious. That's because it seems to me there's not a lot of instructional 
uh, video out there from either John or from you or from Gary teaching moves, is that something that's in the plans for the future or is that not something that you plan on until after the competition career has sort of uh, started to go get a little further along? So the reason why there's no instructionals is for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, uh, because we just want to have the competitive edge over people, um, you know, as long as we're competing. And the more instructionals that we put out, the uh, the more people know what we're doing and the potentially less success we're going to have in competition. Uh, and the second reason is because if I put out a DVD on leg locks and you can find everything that you would have in a DVD at one of my seminars, there's less you're less inclined to come to one of my seminars. And so DVDs are are short-term returns as far as money. Yeah, you don't have to travel. You don't have to you know, do as much to actually teach seminars in multiple different spots. You get money quickly, but in a, long, in a long-term sense, teaching seminars is a bigger return financially than a short-term return from, from DVDs. Uh, and take Hickson, for example. Hickson never released any videos, never released any instructionals. Whenever there's a Hickson Gracie seminar, he makes over $100,000 every seminar. Uh, so I think there's kind of like a, like a mysterious factor to not having uh, any instructionals out. You know, just not talking about competition advantage at all, just about, uh, about short-term versus uh, long-term returns as far as, uh, as, far as finances. Um, I think that long-term teaching seminars um, is just, just a better way to go than making instructionals. Yeah, and speaking as someone that's been to one of those Hickson seminars, the, the investment's definitely worth it. So when you teach a seminar, and you're on the way to teach one right now, like wh what can folks that come out for your seminars expect? What kind of approach do you take when teaching? Um, so I teach seminars. Uh, I kind of have an open approach. Um, you know, I, me and Gary kind of teach some kind of seminar. Um, John's a little bit different. John just teaches whatever whatever he he wants, and, you know, he makes he makes it very worthwhile. He intertwines everything, you know, very good. He goes from, you know, attack to attack to attack, and it's all based off of, you know, one position, and he shows you different setups you have from there into submissions. So what he does is great, and, uh, you know, John, by far, teaches the best seminar that I've, I've ever witnessed. He, I even learning from him every day. I watched him teach a seminar at Henzo's the other day, and I just sat there. I was like, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. Like, it's just it's, it's a different experience learning from him. Uh, but, you know, as far as me and Gary teach seminars, it's kind of an open seminar. You know, you guys paid for the seminar, and I want you to get what, what you came here for. So I kind of ask people, you know, what they want to see. Um, so I take ideas from people of, of whatever position or just a general idea of what people want to see. Usually, because of our competition resume, it's back takes and leg locks. So usually it's back takes and leg locks that we teach. But there's variations here and there, and I go, I just go off people's ideas. And then at the end, you know, if I don't get everything that people ask for, I ask a question and answer. It's like 30, 20 to 30 minutes. And uh, what I do is I just rapid-fire questions. We don't drill any moves. But people ask me either, you know, questions about my life or, or jiu-jitsu questions. And uh, I show them, you know, some possible uh, things that I would do from each situation they ask from. Uh, and then we just move on to the next question. So I get everyone's questions out of the way. Um, everyone gets to, gets to see what they came for. And, uh, and everybody's usually pretty happy that way. 
Grapplers, there are a lot of different rule sets out there, but you know the only pure rule set there is? True submission only. And you know the only tournament organization to run true no time limit submission only? It's U.S. Grappling. And December 9th, true submission only U.S. Grappling comes back to Richmond, Virginia. Register early at usgrappling.com and get on out there for no time limits, no points, and no excuses. usgrappling.com to register December 9th. So obviously you train you with a bunch of uh, really high-level practitioners. You've mentioned a, a bunch of them. But there must still be a scenario where you run into a situation where you're the most advanced person in a class. And I'm wondering, when you get into that situation, how do you train so that both you and your partners benefit when that's the case? Okay, so it depends. The way that I train depends on what I'm preparing for. Like, uh, in terms of ADCC, I was always just trying to beat people. You know, I was trying to win you know, with an ADCD rule set in mind. But if I'm not, if I'm just trained to improve and I'm trained with someone I'm much better with, uh, most of the time you'll see me putting myself in very bad positions um, and escaping into very good positions. So, for example, I'll let someone lock a fully locked triangle, a fully locked arm bar, fully locked uh, rear naked, things like that, and I'll try to escape, but escape into my own submissions. So if I have a fully locked triangle, I'll escape into a leg lock. Um, or if I have, if someone has a Kimura, I'll escape into, you know, an arm bar or into a leg lock, things like that. So I try to put myself in bad positions, find the best, the best way and most efficient way to escape and to enter into my own submissions at the same time. Or I'll just work on locking in submissions and like, for example, putting an arm bar, having someone try to roll out and escape and just following them through with breaking pressure on the whole time, just enough so they don't tap, but I know that I can break them and, you know, working on following people like that. Or if I'm just working on like a, a say guard passing position, I'll just force that position and just try to try to hit uh, you know different moves or, or innovate or get new ideas from whatever position I'm working on that day. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned Gary Tonin a few times. I'm curious what it's like to train with Gary on a regular basis. It seems like it'd be both a really fun experience and also a challenging experience. Yeah. So there's a there's a clear difference between the absolute best in the world and the the people technically that are one level below that um you know everyone in the gym is very tough uh that we train with but training with gary is you, you can tell there's a noticeable difference between him and between the guys directly under under uh under him uh you know training with him is and most people don't believe this because you know gary's much smaller than me and I've had so much success recently in competition, and most people actually just think that Gary kind of just passes around and, get, and gets lucky, but that's not what it's like at all. Uh, you know, if we're both training hard, there's just no way that I can not go 100% without getting submitted. Um, you know, Gary is the close, comes the closest to passing my guard. He comes the closest to submitting me. If he gets me in a bad position, it takes fucking forever for me to get out. Um, so training with him is something different. And what people don't realize about Gary is most of the time when he's competing, he's kind of just lackadaisical. Uh, you know, he, he trains sometimes much better than he competes. Uh, and when, when he's, 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 when he's, when he's on, he's on, um, you know, an EBI, like this past EBI, like there's no way that it took six, you know, five, six, seven, eight minutes to submit any of these guys. You know, if he was, if he was coming in and he was going hard, he would have submitted everybody under two minutes easily. 
um, because I know that because I, I don't go 100%. I'm getting submitted in under two minutes. There's no way that he couldn't have, have submitted all these guys. But he kind of he kind of goes in and he kind of plays around a little bit and gets comfortable. And then when he feels like you know he's ready to go, he kind of picks the pace up gradually, and then he goes into you know the real guy that you see at the end of the matches to many people. So it's definitely a different experience, and he's he's the toughest person I, I would say. He's the toughest person I've, I've trained with, I would say, for sure. Along those lines, with, of the toughest people that you've trained with, are there grapplers that you watch either just for pleasure or things that you're like, I can really learn something from that guy? Who are some of your favorite people uh, to watch that are either currently competing or uh, or have been, or some of the legends? Now I don't really watch anyone to learn much, uh, but if I'm going to watch someone, it'll be mostly to to study tape on them, to, if I'm competing against them, whatever the case is. Uh, but if I'm going to, if I'm going to watch any tape, I'll, I'll watch like a wrestling or judo to try to learn what those guys do because I know that I'm not really, I'm not really too knowledgeable in those areas compared to the highest level guys, obviously. Um, but coming up through the ranks, and I'll take a blue and purple belt. My favorite, my absolute favorite grappler was Keenan. Uh, I watched a lot of stuff on Keenan. I watched a lot of his nogi stuff, a lot of his guard passing. I loved everything that Keenan did, and uh, you know he was he was very similar body type to me. He was a little bit bigger at the time, but. Uh, you know, coming up, blue, purple, even a little bit of brown belt. I was, everything I was studying was, was Keenan Cornelius. Um, I love the kind of guards he played. I love the kind of pass that he played. And I love how relaxed he was the entire time. So coming up, you know, up until at least brown belt, Keenan was, was one of my idols. So you mentioned that, you know, the Danaher team is known for its leg locks as well as back takes. So excluding the guys that you train with, excluding the, the Danaher team, who do you think in the world of jiu-jitsu right now has really good leg locks? Like, who, who, do, who do you look at and say, those guys have some things going on that are, that are exciting? Um, really only Paul Harris is the only decent one. Uh, and he, because he actually has the ability to break someone from outside heel looks. Uh, you know, anyone could, could lock in a shitty inverted and still get, and get good results. But Paul Harris uh, was consistently getting to a leg with entrances from the feet into the legs. So you get a good mesh between standing entrances and ground entrances. And when he actually got to a leg and put a grip in, he would, he would break people almost 100% of the time. Uh, so, and even him, you know, I don't really think that he's too knowledgeable. Uh, you know, he's, he's very good, obviously, but when he competed against Gary, he looked like he had no idea what he was doing. Um, so I think Paul Harris is the closest. But other than that, I just think we're decades ahead of ahead of anybody in the low log department. So on the topic of submissions, we, we asked the listeners to send in some questions for you, and one of the questions we got was, what's your favorite corny or hokey submission? A submission that shouldn't work, but for some reason you seem to catch it, i.e. the unicorn. Hmm. Submission that shouldn't work, but does. Uh, <laughs> okay, I have one. Um, a submission that I hit that shouldn't work but does isn't a submission, uh, but it's where I go to pass the guard and I body lock someone's hands inside to their torso. So I have a body lock, but I have both of people's partner's hands trapped. And as I take my elbows together and down to my hips to go to pass the guard, people tap from that. So it's definitely not a submission, and I'm not trying to use it as a submission, but I do submit people from there. If someone listening to this wants to get into learning leg locks, what is the first place they should start? I mean, obviously, if they can learn from John, I think that's the place. Um, I think that if you're not going to learn from John, I think all the instructionals 
uh, out there are pretty pretty garbage as far as lug locks go. Um, I think that the best way that you can do it is is really taking your time to study the things uh, that are working at highest level competitions with lug locks. Um, look at tape of, of the best leg lockers and see why their leg locks work, if they have success, and why they fail, um, and see what the difference is in the mechanics of the move uh, when one fails and one works. A couple of our listeners are coming off of injuries, and they're wondering what your toughest setback in your grappling career has been, and were there any moments when you questioned your potential, questioned the path that you'd chosen? What was your toughest setback, and how did you overcome it? Um, so I had a, a grade two tear in my MCL when I was a blue belt, uh, and that that put me out for, for a while. I mean, I was training, but I wasn't confident enough in my knee to be able to compete without a knee brace. So uh, I didn't compete, and I wore brakes until I was sure that my knee was better, and then I wore it even longer than that. Uh, so totally, for uh, in total, I didn't compete at blue belt for around a year uh, with a, with the MCL tear, and that was pretty much the, that was pretty much the most major injury I've had. You know, obviously, I've had you know smaller things. I've had uh, you know a lot of injured fingers, uh, popped ankles, you know hurt neck here and there, popped ribs here and there. Um, but I think uh, the most major injury by far was was the was the MCL there. Uh, so nothing too serious, thank God, uh, for now. But that was a blue belt. It wasn't really a defining moment in my career. So I think uh, I think that was the was, that was the most serious one. Well, hopefully that continues. Um, do you have? Do you, I wonder if you set goals either for competition or for your career. And so, do you have? Hey, I want to see myself this place in one year. I want to accomplish this in five years. So do you set goals in those terms? Yes. So we have short-term and long-term goals. And short-term goals are to be anywhere from, you know, a couple of weeks to a couple of months where I have a competition coming up or I'm trying to develop a new skill and I want to, I want to get, get good at whatever I'm trying to work on or I want to do this in competition uh, or I want to finish this guy in competition with this move or under this amount of time, things like that. So as far as short-term goals, those are the things. As far as long-term goals, um, yeah, we definitely have long-term goals. Uh, for me, long-term goals was I planned to win ADCC. Uh, uh, my Actually, my goal was a double gold in ADCC um, the first time I entered. So that was close, but no cigar. Uh, and then, you know, after I won ADCC, my goal was to win everything in the Gi. When I win everything in the Gi, I plan to win everything in MMA. So from the beginning, it was always do one, do the next, and then do the next. It wasn't to try to mesh everything together or rush anything. Everything's planned out, so I was working on one thing, I become the best at that. And I work on the second thing, I become the best at that. And then once I complete those, then I kind of close the, the book of, of Jiu-Jitsu for me uh, as far as going heavy into Jiu-Jitsu competition. I start to transition into trying to be the best in MMA and then be the best in that. Is there anything I haven't asked about that you really wish I would have asked about or anything that you don't think people know about you that they should know about you? Um, number one, I'm nicer in person than I am on social media. Um, as long as you're nice to me. Uh, number two, I like race cars a lot. And anything that goes fast or through a bunch of mud. So, for any car fans out there, I like I like race cars. Um, and you know that's it. Uh, you know if you ever if you ever come up to me and 
and you know we're in person or you just see me in the gym or outside the gym anywhere we are and you ever ask to take a picture or you ask me to find something i'll be more than happy to uh, you know don't feel don't feel afraid i'm always always have time for you guys for you know a question you have or or anything that you want to you want to do as far as as far as that um you know feel free to come and ask me and uh and i'll be more than happy to to help you um other than that i don't i don't think there's much uh, uh, one last question which is how cool on a scale of one to ten is betty broadhurst Oh, Betty's amazing. Every time we go to North Carolina, she hooks us up. She gives us, you know, she gives us a place to stay. She gives us seminars. She books private for us. Um, and, you know, she's just so nice all the time. You know, make, brings us food. Everything we ask, we always have from her. So, And she's always, you know, coming, flying out to see me compete. So I, I love her like a second mom. So it, it's great. Uh, it was great meeting her. I met her when I was uh, a brown belt, I think. And I've known her ever since. So it's been really great knowing her. Here are three amazing things that you can buy on the cageside.com website right now. First, the Toro BJJ Coffee and Chokes Rash Guard. As someone that trains in the morning, having this rash guard for the low, low price of $29 would be super useful. Second, and this is on clearance right now, the Cageside MMA Black Beanie that'll keep your ears warm in the coming winter and keep you looking fresh at local fights and jujitsu competitions. Third, the Cageside Tank Muay Thai Shin Pads. I don't train striking anymore, but if I did, I know that leg kicks are terrible, and so having those will really help. In fact, with all the strikers I know, I'm thinking of just walking around in these shin pads. All these products and more at cageside.com. That's our show for the week. I want to thank Gordon Ryan again for taking the time to call in. I know the audio quality isn't what you're used to with us in the studio, but sometimes you have to take the interview when it comes to you. I want to thank Betty Broadhurst for making that happen. I also want to thank Betty for being one of our Patreon supporters. If you'd like to support the show for as little as a dollar a month and get some great bonus content, you can join us at patreon.com slash dirtywhitebelt. You can even contribute to get a shout-out at the end of the podcast, as Betty Broadhurst, Chris Holmes, Carl Krebs, and Cody Malte did this month. Thanks again for listening to the show. The co-hosts are Betsy O'Donovan and Lourdes Cantu. My name is Jeff Shaw. This is Dirty White Belt Radio. You can check us out online at dirtywhitebelt.com. We'll see you next week.